You are now tuned in to the Worldwide Underground. This is episode number 10. My name is Gabriel Teodros, your host in this completely independent experiment in long-form storytelling. If you haven't checked out the past episodes, we've got some good ones in the archive. Saul Williams, the last episode with Malkia Devich Cyril was incredible. Talking about media justice, we had Ijomo Luo on here talking about her new book, Be a Revolution, Nikita Oliver, Kings, and so much more. Thank you to everyone who supports GabrielTeodros.substack.com. That's where you subscribe and also where you can support the work that we do here. Today, it's my joy and my pleasure to introduce to you my friend, the incredible Kimortal to the show. Kimortal is an MC, vocalist, producer, visual artist, actor, and just all-around superhero from unceded Coast Salish territories by way of the Philippines. That's a place you know as Vancouver, BC. And a few months ago, Kimortal dropped a new track called Stop Business As Usual, which prompted the invitation to this very podcast. And just days after they released the song, they went to the Philippines for a month. So we catch up on the new music, the homeland journey, and a whole lot more in this episode of Worldwide Underground. Before we get into the conversation, though, I wanted to give you a sneak preview of Kimoto's latest music. This is the track I just mentioned. Stop business as usual. Let's get into it. Business, 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 business. I don't wanna write a record, I wanna reflect the time. Stop business as usual, stop the genocide. I don't wanna write a record, I wanna reflect the time. Stop business as usual, stop the genocide. I don't wanna write a record, I wanna reflect the time. Stop business as usual, stop the genocide. I don't wanna write a record, I wanna reflect the time. Stop business, 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 business. I don't want to write a banger. I want to reflect the time. Stop business as usual. Stop the genocide. It's land back from Philippines to Palestine. It's time to uprise till we're all free. Fuck individualism. This is collectivism. No more consumerism. Tune into global rhythms. We make the revolution irresistible. Leaning on each other, holding them accountable. They don't give a fuck about us, but we will still talk shit. We design our graphics. We reciting telephone scripts. We got our receipts. Local art. Archivist. We flood an inbox, the mayor's office. We calling his shit, don't be complicit. We boost the info, and we bear witness. We taking our lead from indigenous. We unstoppable, we won't say silence. I don't wanna write a record, I wanna reflect the time. Stop business as usual, stop the genocide. I don't wanna write a record, I wanna reflect the time. Stop business as usual, stop the genocide. I don't wanna write a record, I wanna reflect the time. Stop business as usual, stop the genocide. I don't wanna write a record. Kafia's on the street, traffic blockage. A politician sips his cocktail and buzz the rockets. BLM ceasefire, your hands got blood in them. He licks his fingers, calls on his minions. They turn in humans into robot cops. Slaves to empires, brains whitewashed. They put whiteness in religious laws. Gave them rights to enslave, mass graves, land theft, prison jobs. Real, real loves and decolonization. Total liberation of our nation. Stop the killings and the occupation. Changing, using radical imagination. Together we're amazing. Hey, hey, 
It's the Worldwide Underground. I am here with my friend, incredible artist by the name of Kimordo. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm feeling a lot. Yeah. I'm feel I'm 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 many things. So many layers. Of yeah. Emotions. Absolutely. Me too. Me too. Um, you know, right off top, um, part of the reason why I wanted to do this interview with you, um, and I think I first reached out maybe in late November, early December, uh, was a song that you put out, Stop Business as Usual, you know? And right now on the day that we're recording this, um, you know, Israel has basically started bombing Rafa, the, um, you know, the last safe place, supposed safe place in Gaza mm -hmm. that they've mm -hmm. pushed people to basically mm -hmm. like all the way to the South, right up to the Egyptian border. And um, yeah, that song, that message, Stop Business as Usual, We've Gotta End This Genocide feels more pressing than ever. Um, I was hoping you could talk about like that song in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um. So that was that stop business as usual is the first song that I ever produced, recorded, mm. and then dropped within a week. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. I didn't care for, you know, promotion because that's not what, you know, um, that's not what inspired the track, like the right. track. The hook is, um, I want to reflect the times mm -hmm. and I'm referring to Nina Simone Yeah, and, um, yeah, it was, it was actually the, the, how I actually created the track from the first place was actually inspired by your track, Gabe, <laughs> what? light attracts light and everything else. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is one of my favorite tracks by you because Thank that you. track, yes. Um, that track is, is like one of the first times I heard an artist express music and then capitalism, music and then the mm. industry mm -hmm. and um, how you grapple with that and navigate that as a radical, a radically honest artist. Mm. And, um, during the time I was like, I was like thinking, what's the role of the artist in this time of genocide? Right. right. And yeah, I was, I was like, you know, fuck the industry. Absolutely. It me it makes no sense right now. Yeah. It makes no sense in this time. Yeah. And, and then the words, they came through from what I was seeing. Like I, I was seeing, um, artists, activists, you know, screenshotting scripts of what to write on, t what to write on emails to politicians. Right. Right. I was seeing like graphic artists, like animators that I know making visual art, like visual graphics to illustrate what is happening. Like all mm -hmm. these different artists in the community really inspiring me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I just wanted to capture snapshots. Like this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, um, the other day, a friend 
said that when she was listening to the track, she was reminded of Blue Scholars, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is which is the music. See a lot of Seattle hip hop. Yourself, mm. Khalil, mm-hmm. Blue Scholars, Rogue Panay. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the artists that I was listening to when I was starting to construct my own lyrics. Lyrics um, in in what 2010? 20, 2009, 2008, all those, all those years. Yeah. So, so dope. Yeah. <laughs> That's so dope. Um, after you released this song, uh, you went to the Philippines and I got multiple questions about that because, um, one, I wondered, well, like what's your relationship with the Phil's is like, like kind of throughout life, but also, it looked like you found yourself performing or going to protest and then finally like performing at protest, like over the month that you were there. So yeah, I guess that's two questions. Like what's your relationship with the Philippines like? And yeah, if you want to talk about that experience on this, this last journey. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. Um, so my relationship to the Philippines, so I'm, I'm second generation Filipino Canadian mm-hmm. uh, born on unceded Coast Salish territories um, born in Vancouver, raised in Surrey, um, didn't grow up speaking Tagalog, but my parents spoke to me in Tagalog. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I've only been to the Philippines, including last December, uh, three times. Okay. Uh, so this was your third trip ever in this life. Is my third trip ever in my 35 years here on planet earth. How, how old were you the other two times? The, the first time I was like, I just turned 20. Okay. Yeah. And that was, that was like me and my sister going, Hey, let's go to an Island in the Philippines. Uh huh. And then we landed and we were like culture shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Second time, 2019 with my mom visiting where she grew up. That was also uh life changing. Yeah. Third time I went with my partner. Uh-huh. That was life changing. Every 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 time I go back, it's a new experience. Yeah, but this one felt different because it, me and me and my partner were making the decisions on where to go. Mm-hmm. So it was like maybe the fourth day. I was like, "Hey, I want to visit this monument um, of one of the Filipino anti-colonial revolutionaries, Andre Bonifacio." Mm-hmm. So we head there, and then. Uh, I hear megaphones mm. and then I go behind the monument and then I see this like mass of Filipino Muslims praying mm. in, in protest for Palestine. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Oh, what? Like, yeah. I did not expect that, you know? And yeah. like, yeah. Um, it was, really significant for me to see to see to witness and to it was really important for me to see like filipino muslims in resistance speaking out real loud real clear boldly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so so yeah lots of lots of things i did not plan happened when i was in the philippines and you yeah. mentioned I performed and the first, so the first time I performed in the Philippines outside of the second trip doing karaoke, this, uh-huh. this, this time 
um, uh, I met for the first time with a Filipina American who's an activist and organizer now based in Manila. And Mm. she's like, Hey, can you perform in front of a bunch of kids who are organizing an event for Palestine and in solidarity? Yeah. So yeah, I performed in front of a bunch of kids. I performed stop business as usual. And the kids were just like, they ran that whole event. Yeah. Kids under 12. Like I was like, whoa. That's amazing. The video, the video is like, gives me so much joy. Like seeing you perform that song with all these kids just into it. Like, you know, you could feel the energy even through the little video that you shared, you know? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. They were so, they were really incredible. Like the program that they're a part of, I was actually surprised to know that it even exists in the Philippines Mm. because that program critiques the educational institutions that um, teach kids. And so kids are learning about the systems in place that impact what they learn about. Mm, so mm-hmm. so that was really cool. That's so dope. That's so dope. I feel like Homeland Journeys are so important and can be, like you said, so life-changing. Like what are like if you could look back on, you know, that month in the Philippines, like what what do you think some of your biggest takeaways are from from that month, you know? Yeah. Um the biggest takeaways, well, for me, the first one is per like familial personal because mm-hmm. I ended up visiting um my estranged father's hometown. Mm. With and I ended up meeting my um, late Lula's, my late grandma's sister mm. and family. Like I mm-hmm. ended up connecting with family I've never met, you know, and like that was also unplanned, but that was gut instinct. Cause I have to, I, I do, I have to say two years before I landed in the Philippines last December, I just f- knew that the next trip would somehow involve my dad's hometown. Wow. Uh huh. And and um, yeah, some some spooky some spooky shit happened too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I was like, oh, I'm gonna revisit my mom's hometown, but something in me was like, don't. But I didn't listen, and I still mm. went. And I should have not gone. So like wow. I I really I I really like had an instinct fused homeland journey. Hmm. Like it was like like a lot I was really just following like okay, today we're going to do this 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 and then I ended up finding my family and also connecting with Filipinos in resistance. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Do you feel like you have like a deeper connection now that you than before? You must. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love that. Um, I was wondering if we could uh if we could go back in time a little bit. You know, you mentioned being influenced by Seattle artists coming up. Um, I was curious, like, how did you start making music and how old were you? Um, 
the like first ever song I wrote. Yeah, just how how did you get into making music? It's just period, you know, whatever that means to you. Okay. Um, first time I started making music was um I realized I could make a song after I rented like Alicia Keys mm. and like Backstreet Boys <laughs> <laughs> and like Brandy and Monica album. Those were the uh-huh. three albums from the library. And I like opened up the insert and then I was like looking at the lyrics. And then I was like, I like that lyric from Alicia. I like that lyric from Backstreet Boys. I like that mm-hmm. one from Brandy and Monica. I'm going to take those and I'm going to put it in a new song. And then I wrote the song. I was probably like eight or nine. Yeah, so that was the nice. first time I constructed a song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would say my main inspiration is after I heard Lauren Hill on MTV Unplugged. Mm-hmm, mm. Just her and the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that influence in you strong too. You know, like I would, I would put Lauren Hill in my top three, like all time influences, you know, she's got that, um, just that vulnerability that I never really heard in hip hop before her. You know, I remember, um, when the Fugees came out with that, uh, what was the last song on the score? I think it's called Manifest. She ended up like redoing the lyrics in X Factor on the miseducation. But the first time I heard that verse, it was like I had goosebumps across my whole body. And it was the first time I heard a hip hop song really do that. And when I think about your music, what stands out to me is also the vulnerability, but also the way you just like go between rapping and like and like you got chops like you got styles but also like singing like so effortlessly so i hear that lauren hill influencing you strong you know (laughs) thank you yeah in terms of the vulnerability too um artists who have inspired me to be vulnerable and honest in my lyrics are uh lauren hill uh ian kamau yeah and um Gabriel Teodros. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love honor. It's true. I'm it's honored because you because you inspire me so much. You give me hope like all the time, yo. That that means a lot. Um, that's tight. You know, I started going to v- Vancouver for the first time, like probably probably in the year 2000. You know, I was 19, and uh, Seattle didn't have mm-hmm. like a lot of venues you could perform at if you were under 21. Okay. I, I was 19, which was the drinking age in Vancouver. And there was like some crews that we had gotten associated with in Vancouver and a lot of venues that were accessible to us, you know? So Vancouver became like a second home. And I noticed that like just through the years of like looking at the Vancouver hip hop scene, it's kind of been these waves of like, like when I came in, like Battle Axe Records was like the thing in Vancouver, right? And like everything kind of like revolved around Battle Axe and these nights that they had called Context. And it was very male dominated, you know, highly homophobic, I would say, you know. Um, and the Vancouver hip hop scene that I see you kind of flourishing in, it, it looks and sounds completely different, you know. I was wondering, like, what what were your early memories 
and interactions, if any, that you had with like the Vancouver hip hop scene? Like who are some of the early Vancouver artists that you, you know, knew about? Mm, okay. Um, I remember I was maybe, it was my fourth year of university and I was taking a, a gender studies course and the professor said, write about anything you want for your final paper. So I was like, okay, I'm going to use this opportunity to learn about women in hip hop. So mm. I, I went local. So I, I learned about Kia Kadiri and yeah. Didi Cascade, yeah. JB, the first lady. Mm -hmm. And then I started looking outside of local and I learned about Hopi Spitzhard, Rocky Rivera and invincible in Detroit. Who's non-binary. Yeah. Um, and then I presented a paper and, but it was through that paper that I actually researched and made an intention to call and talk and like meet these MCs. So I remember mm. met Kia Kadiri um, at like where she was working at. It was like a food spot. She's like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. I'm, I'm almost on my break. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then we had a convo and then I called JB, the first lady, um, indigenous MC. Um, yeah, just like that was, and that was before I was writing raps. Wow. So, so it was really, I, I, I entered it, I guess, from like c c coming from a prof being like, write a paper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so there was that. Uh, oh, and then. I was encouraged to perform a lot at open mics in UBC and okay. there was this one event and it was led by the Caribbean African association. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was at a pub and then this poet dropped in scruff mouth. Just Never like heard of poet. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, Vancouver based black poet talked about like an event promoting it. And then, I learned about the spoken word scene okay. through that open mic. So a lot of the, a lot of it was like my entrance into wanting to write was learning about different MCs and poets in the Vancouver scene and learning how they got into it. Mm -hmm. And so that was that. Yeah, I love that. I love that Kia Kadiri and Ndidi Cascade were like two of the names you mentioned because they were, you know, I feel like both of them became like big sisters to me. You know, once I started going to Vancouver, like they're two of the people I probably perform with the most out there, you know. So that's nice. Yeah, that just warms my heart, you know. Um, that's dope. I wanted to ask you, how do you how did you develop your cadence and vocals? Because you have you have a lot of style and I, and I was just curious oh, like thanks was there was there a lot of freestyling involved is it like oh hmm good question yeah where where do you think your cadences come from <laughs> my cadences um okay so um i i guess like bamboo yeah. is uh like a lot of my, a lot of like, so, okay, sorry. I'm, I'm like kind of scatterbrained. So, um, 
bamboos cadence um jean grays Ooh, yeah cadence um I'm like honestly just like thinking about like the artists I listened to during the times I was like writing. So Eternia, Eternia oh, for sure. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> I love that your influences are like hella the homies. <laughs> I love that. So dope. <laughs> that feels good. That feel that's affirming, you know, yeah. like when they're actually in community. Yeah, no doubt. Awesome. No like doubt. we're connected. Um India Ari in my singing. Mm, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like Voyage to India was like my favorite album. And it's still one of my favorite albums. Yeah. Um in the early I'm missing a whole bunch. In the early part of the pandemic, like in 2020, I don't know what it was, but something about India Ari and Gil Scott Heron were like the two voices that were like the most comforting to me. Like when everything was shut down, I don't know what it was, but I kept going back to those two artists, you know? So yeah, it makes mm. sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I found that in the pandemic too, I would return to like what made me feel comforted. Mm -hmm. Like songs, songs that I hadn't, I hadn't listened to in a while. Yeah, that makes sense. So in addition to music, you're also a visual artist, you know, you you do acting. Um, you probably got a whole bunch of other art forms that you that you practice I don't even know about. But I wanted to know like how do you feel like these different mediums inform each other? Or do they? Yeah, totally. I th I totally think they do. I think there's so many different entry points um into making music as well as different entry points to making art that are um multi-dimensionals so what i mean by that is like um when i'm making a song and i'm like staring at the digital art audio workstation technical terms ableton mm -hmm. whatever yeah. and i i'm like i don't know what to do but then i see it and i see shapes and then i'm yeah. like this is like collage yeah you know this is like i'm gonna color code each stem Mm -hmm. I'm going to organize it in a way that makes sense to my brain. Uh. Yeah. Um, and I also learned that when I was, cause I, uh, when I was a visual arts student, I taught kids for a while, um, mm -hmm. art class. These were grade tours. Mm -hmm. And, um, I showed them this artist and, uh, from which I forgot his name, but this artist illustrated music through shapes. Mm -hmm. and I just seeing this artist's work I was like this makes so much sense to me mm -hmm. so I'm not classically trained I don't even know like what I'm hitting in terms of the keys on the piano or mm -hmm. the guitar but I know shapes so I yeah. know my my hand is supposed to do this on the guitar mm -hmm. neck etc and it's all intuition and instinct so it's yeah. like, what, what sounds good to you? You know what sounds good to you, That's right? right. That's right. And then feeling empowered mm -hmm. from that. Um, so that's what fuels me to, to trust. I, I trust that in me. Yeah, I love that. And do you, do you make most of your beats? Um, 
I try to have my hand in it. Yeah. But uh, this last album, most of the beats, I had a say in it. But it was, I I approached the last album like I wanted to collaborate more. Okay. But um, yeah, I do, I do make quite a bit. I would say yeah. it's like maybe 60, 40. And is that is that from the very beginning, like from your first album? Like, did you start making beats or was there a point where you learned? My first album was actually all guitar and vocals. Oh, yeah. 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 And then I got my friends who are talented musicians to hop on those tracks. Okay. Yeah. And okay. then the second album was when I had finished taking um, Introduction to Ableton with Erin Barra, one of the first women producing electronic music that I've ever mm. seen. Mm. Taught myself through recommendation of a friend who was doing the same thing. And then sort of developed my sound. Yeah. Yeah. That's so after fine. a while, it just, it gets boring to just strum on the guitar. Like I was yeah. like, I don't want to do, I want to, you know, I want to, and there's so much out there that's actually, it can get quite overwhelming, but once you find like your sonic palette, it's really cool. Yeah, that's fire. I feel like I had like a different kind of trajectory because, you know, I rapped over other people's beats for like damn near 20 years and now I'm making beats for the first time and I'm just like in love with it, you know? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um. Yo, speaking of your second LP, I had a couple questions about it because I love that album so much. Um, and I love the title, X Marks the Swirl. I think I know what it means, but I was wondering if you could break down that album title in your own words. Yeah, so, so X Marks the Swirl is like a reference to X Marks the Spot, like a treasure map type of mm -hmm. maps. At the time, I was... Uh, at the time I was thinking a lot about maps, like colonial mm -hmm. maps mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, uh, decolonizing. So, so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about diaspora. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about queer longing, longing mm -hmm. for home, longing for belonging, longing for queer love, what I wasn't seeing, longing for something. Yeah. Um, and I was also thinking about uh, uh, my, my gender, my non-binariness, mm. my, how that intersects with being Filipinx on stolen land. And I was thinking about the movement. So when you think of the swirl, mm. it's like a constant, you know, s cycling motion. So I was like, once you get, once you arrive, there's still more movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's still more motion. Um, yeah, so those are, that's kind of all of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the umbrella, but shapes were really speaking to me at the time and they still yeah. do. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, another question I had was actually about one of my favorite songs, um, that I don't think, I don't, I think there's a story in this song that I don't really fully understand. So I was wondering if you could help me. Ice Palaces. Ice 
palaces that they made for you they made for you for you Palaces me <laughs> totally. It's one of my favorite songs, and I'd be singing yeah. along to it. Yeah, oh yeah. Yes. And I'm like, man, but what are the ice palaces? Like, I feel like it's a metaphor that's just like, you know, yeah. Can you, can you break it down? Well, I, ice palaces is definitely you got it. It's a metaphor, and it's a metaphor for a white supremacy. Mm -hmm. I had a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I was trying, like, I was, I, that was also a time in which I was going into high schools with mm. Oz 12. Uh-huh. Yeah, so just me and him. Oz 12 is this really sick um, indigenous MC visual artist. I think he's doing more visual art these days in murals. Yeah, I can talk about Oz 12 as well, because it's actually when I was thinking about that connection to Vancouver hip hop, like I think Oz 12 is like one of the young OGs, you know what I mean? Because he was the youngest member of the super crew called QC back in the day. Um, first time I ever was on a posse cut in my life, Oz 12 was there and Oz 12's voice is on it. You know what I mean? This is back in 2000 on my first trip to Vancouver, you know? So when I saw that you and Oz linked up, that was like, that was special, you know? That's amazing. Okay, I never knew that. I just got a deep cut of history right there. Yeah, he was in a he was in a crew called Sunday School Dropouts with Manic Wonderful as well, which, <laughs> I, which I thought That's was like name. one of the yeah exactly one of the best group names ever. <laughs> Sunday School Dropouts, you know? Yeah, Oz Twelve is the homie. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Oz Twelve teaches me so much. Actually, I would actually credit a lot of the the thoughts floating around that time I was recording to Oz 12, but nice. ice palaces was basically a metaphor um, for white supremacy that maybe I referenced when I went into high schools mm -hmm. trying to talk about white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And like, I kind of imagined, you know, this cold place, mm. you know, and it's built for some and it's, and it, it actually is, we can burn it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and make something new and yeah just thinking about design thinking about space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful one and now we got your new album shoebox i was curious about what this title meant to you what is the shoebox yeah well shoebox was made during the pandemic and i don't know about you but like i was doing a lot of um like what happened in mm. my life? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, with a shoebox, it's like memories. It's like, you know, um, I was also doing a lot of inner child healing 
Mm. So a lot of the visuals are like playful, but there's something deep underneath and maybe even ominous. And um, shoebox also is it. It um, I'm all, I also really just like shoebox art. Have you seen like shoebox art? I'm not even hip, really. Not really. Yeah. Like, is your is your album cover shoebox art? Would that be considered shoebox art? Or no. Yeah, like that's from a, that's, yeah, that's yeah. like it's still from a music video, but it's like you're inside the shoebox, kind of like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like shoebox art is like, like I remember walking down, uh, Venice Beach once, and there was this like art vendor, and she had like tiny boxes, and inside the boxes were like little universes. Ah, oh, that's dope. Yeah. And I was, I'm really into like, there's so much packed and potent in a single little thing. Like there's an entire world in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, that's what shoebox is about. Like I, I did a lot, I, I'm still doing healing, but like I needed to process like trauma. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all in this little thing. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, I was thinking about imagination. I was thinking about abolition. Yeah. I was thinking about queer love, queer sex. I was thinking about um, uh, Filipino folklore myths around creation. I was oh, thinking yeah. about uh, love in the context of community care in that last song, Love. One of my favorites on the whole album, yeah. What does love mean to you? listening to it today and like that song and a lot of your music in general like I feel like I'm listening to family when I hear it you know and then with everyone's voices coming in it's like oh there's Jule there's Nikki like I, I I hear these voices that I know you know like yeah can you, can you talk about the making of that song as well yeah so love that track was produced by a producer based in the Philippines and mm. I did not know because I just got the track off tracktrain.com Okay. And then I was like, oh, you're from the Philippines. Cool. Nice. And then I was like, that was the last song I wrote in the album. And the song is called Love. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard song to write about. How do you write a song called Love? I've been trying like, my whole oh career. My Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah. Um, the first time I went into studio with that song was the day Bell Hooks passed away. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah. That's heavy. Did and that then, did knowing did knowing that she passed away, did that kind of inform the lyrics or is it just like a coincidence like you already had the lyrics and you were going to record that day? Oh, um yeah. 
So the first time I went into studio, the lyrics were different. And then I, and then I found out she passed Mm. and then I was listening to the track and I was like, this isn't it. Like, you know, when you just know the Mm -hmm. track is not, no, it's, it's not there. So, so I instead approached the song love by capturing glimpses. So Hmm. glimpses of times I experienced love from my partner, from my friends, you know, um, literally every line in it, I can picture the person Mm -hmm. that has shown me love. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would say love is the epitome of the concept of a shoebox when you're like, when you open a shoebox, like of memories, good memories, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is like a concert ticket you know this is like Mm -hmm. a love letter this is a card from my sister love that song love is is like that and um there's a little quote of bell hooks in the song love where talk about love is like really rooting for someone's spiritual expansion yeah so bell hooks made made herself known in the song yeah. or found her way into into it yeah beautiful i love that joint i love that joint love so hard we dismantle the state that's one of my favorite lines in it too you know yeah um your band camp is incredible and you, i notice you have songs on there that aren't on the album and aren't on other streamers i was wondering like What's the story there? Like, like doodle one and breathe. Like, are these just joints that you just had that you just felt like putting up or it's also like low key. I'm trying to get people to check out your band camp to like, see the whole discography, you know? Oh, cool. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. <laughs> I mean, like, um, with those songs, like you mentioned, breathe. Never really know if I am moving on or backwards Am I rising into illusions of falling into standards And how much of my stressing is from expectations Wearing thin on my skin and killing me softly So I give my fears a name I pluck them up, I eye up on my own kind of sane and rest So not every single moment is a test So I try my best to pause and take a breath Like at the zenith of my inhale I know I'm gonna be alright I'm gonna be just fine I know Breathe breathe just kind of never fit in like an album project yeah you know and like doodle was like also the same thing like there's some songs that i'm just like that kind of just lives on its own it's kind of its own unit Mm -hmm. and um i love those songs i admit like i i breathe i released in the first year of the pandemic when Mm -hmm. people were freaking out and I was like, mm-hmm. this is the time to release Breathe. Let's yeah. breathe. And then um, Doodle One, I I released that when I was like mentally so not well. And when mm-hmm. my Lula, my grandma passed away mm-hmm. and I was processing so much. So that's a three songs in one track. Yeah. And 
yeah, so many of us artists have tracks in our vaults. <laughs> and it's like, are they ever going to be heard? Who knows? Don't you never know. know. I, I shake my head sometimes because I've got albums in the vaults that might not ever come out. Probably won't, you know? <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you just know. Yeah. You know, and like there's there's no push or urgency. Yeah. One thing that I that I struggled with in my career earlier on before I started recording myself primarily is um collaborating with people who hold the songs hostage. You know, like I might love the song, but it's on somebody else's beat and they don't want to release it or it's a collaboration for somebody else's record and then they never drop the record, you know, like I got so many songs like that where it's like, I love that joint, but it's just not in my control, you know? Oh, do you ever find that you write really good verses for other people? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I get so, so inspired by it. You know, I love collaborating, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 Totally. That's, that's definitely collaboration. I want to do it more. I feel mm -hmm. like that's a skill that, um, artists have to make an intention to grow. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's a whole different like I I'd like to experience it more. It's so fulfilling. Yeah. We got to we got to work on some more. I feel like we got a, a lot more collaborations between us coming up, you know. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, there is something generational. I feel like with um like technology has made it so so much easier to produce and record at home, you know, even from when I started. So it's funny, like when I started recording, I literally couldn't have recorded if I didn't have a crew, you know, and all my early stuff was like posse tracks. Cause how else were you going to record if you weren't going to record with people, you know? And, um, from, so for me, it's like, I started doing collaborations for years before making solo music. And even when I approach solo music now, I kind of think about like, okay, how am I going to involve X, Y, Z? Like every time I do an mm -hmm. album, like I have a dream list of people I want to work with and I never get them all on any of the albums, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's always a really long dream list, but you know, you got to pick yeah. beats and you know. Oh yeah. And, and then you, and then, and then I think about story when I make an album too, like how, how does this person fit into this story? Do, do they fit? You know, mm. it's a lot to, to put together. It's a lot to think about. Developing an album is like, yeah. it's a full production. It's like, I mean, it can be. Yeah. Or you could just throw a bunch of songs together. And there's, nothing, I, wrong. there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah, mm. there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like that's the first albums of mine were like that too, you know? Mm. <laughs> Not the ones that I play people or the ones you can find online, but the the earlier stuff, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was just everything I had at the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like, it can be a timestamp too. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely like a, what if I did throw all the songs that I made in year, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, maybe that's, that could be like a full picture of mm -hmm. of seeing yourself sometimes i think i over control like a album concept mm. 
And mm-hmm. I'm like, what would happen if I just, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm doing a hand motion yeah. of like serving. Like, yes. what if it was just like, I just threw it up and just. Here's everything. Yeah. <laughs> Here's everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess even when I, cause I did do two records like that, right? You're on one of them, like what we leave behind in, um, and Westlake 99, I, those two kind of work as albums, but I think of them more as like musical scrapbooks because they're, they're both, they're both albums. I mean, almost like a, like, like another kind of musical shoebox, actually, like they're albums that span many years of like unreleased songs that just for whatever reason, never found a home on an album, but I love those songs. So I put them together and tried to make it as cohesive as I could. But um, what we leave behind was so funny because I, I was unsatisfied about the track list. And I don't know if anyone ever noticed, and this is the first time I'm saying it publicly, but after I released it, I changed the order of the tracks about three or four times. <laughs> That's so relatable. I was the like, order of tracks. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. I released it and then like mm-hmm. I took it off and put it back up on Spotify with a different arrangement. Like, yeah, probably two or three <laughs> times at least. Like, <laughs> it was so silly. <laughs> but it makes sense. I, I, I really do understand because yeah. like it, it, it is a journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, and, the journey has to click for you. Yeah. And that's the other thing about releasing music in this era, right? Like before when everything was kind of like revolved around physical product, you would have some time after like mastering your record and before duplication, like everything just took longer. But like when I did What We Leave Behind, it was like, okay, I'm mastering it and uploading it the next day. And I haven't even really sat with the album to see how, you know, like I didn't even take a couple weeks to just sit with it, you know? (laughs) So... So like I'm getting used to it as a project as everyone else is, you know, and then I'm realizing like, mm. ah, shit, I want to, I want to move stuff, you know? <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's, yeah. it's a lot of decisions yeah. you have to make. Yeah. I remember sitting with my friend and asking her, should this song go next? Mm-hmm. Should this song go next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yo. I feel like I feel like the council is one of the most important things that I've I've learned to trust like in my time of making music and I call it the council what I mean is like a group of trusted friends yeah. that love my music that will listen to it that will be real with me mm-hmm. I just listen to stuff with them you know and um yeah it really helps it helps mm-hmm. too to like listen with someone mm. and and like watch their reactions cuz I don't know about you but mm-hmm. I, I get the feeling of hearing something for the first time as someone else is hearing it for the first time. And it makes it's me the hear, best. It makes me hear everything brand new. Like I didn't I didn't hear it before you heard it. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> Oh my God. I love those moments. I still remember before my album came out, I sat mm-hmm. with Missy D. Nice. Missy D, um, Vancouver based, amazing MC. Absolutely. I sat with her in in her living room and I was like do you want to hear my unreleased album? Yeah. And she's like, hell yeah. And then we just sat in the dark 
with her USB Bluetooth that like uh-huh. lit up different colors. Uh-huh. And it was like one of the best, one of the best moments, like before something's released, mm-hmm. just like, and, and kind of peeking over at my friend being mm-hmm. like kind of wincing a little bit because you're nervous. Oh yeah. But <laughs> it's very, it's exciting. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, I wanted to ask you about your stage show because for anyone that has seen you live, they know you put so much of yourself into every stage show. And I remember there was an era where like every show was completely different. Like one show <laughs> might, you know what I'm saying? Like you might be on the keys one show, you might be sitting down, you might have a video projection, like you like there's dance involved sometimes. Definitely, like, I feel like you're drawing a lot from theater. Um, mm-hmm. I want, yeah, I just wanted to know, like, how do you, how do you approach your stage show and like crafting these moments? And how do you yeah. feel on stage too? How do I feel on stage? Oh my God. The stage is like my favorite place. Yeah. Like the stage is like where I can just be all the things. Like I can be um, OA, which in, in, uh, for the Filipinos, OA is short for overacting. So it's like, oh my God, mm-hmm. Kim, you're so OA. And I'm uh-huh. like, I know, I know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, because of my background in theater, I was in a hip hop theater production that ran for like six years, like throughout my 20s. Wow. And that's, yeah, that's where I, that's where I saw multimedia presentation of a story. And I yeah. was like, I want this in my music. I'll just Absolutely. try to transfer what I learned. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like there's so many, uh, there's so many ways to interact with art and why not bring different elements? Why not? Yeah. You know, like why not give people something to look at? Yeah. That relates to something you want to convey. Yeah. So, so, and because I'm a visual artist, I'm like, I could just utilize this. I could try mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I learn from you when you perform. Like, I know, I know several seasoned vets that have seen you perform that have all learned from you. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's just, it's just really really inspiring like what you bring you know it's yeah it makes me want to makes me want to go back to acting school you know which <laughs> which brings me to what you're doing right now like you're in toronto as i'm talking to you um do you do you want to talk about what you're doing out there or is that public knowledge yeah, sure. or, yeah yeah totally um well really for 2024 my intention is to put myself through through um self-directed school but not like mm. register into any institution. So like, I just mm-hmm. want to learn. I Hell really, yeah. I, and and learning, I forgot, takes so much energy. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so like, to, to receive and to process and absorb knowledge is exhausting. Uh-huh. And then, uh-huh. and then there's, and then there's multiple genocides in the world. Right. <laughs> All of this at once. Mm-hmm. It t- this is also a very potent time. So potent, you know, this is it. This is this is life right now. But 
I'm actually, you caught me in a time in my life where I'm kind of bored of music. Interesting. Wow. And you just, and you just dropped your album like six months ago (laughs) and you're like, I'm bored. (laughs) I'm bored. I'm kind of bored of the cycle of like writing a song that's like two and a half minutes, try like making it rhyme. Not that you Uh have to make it rhyme, but like kind of feeling limited and within the construct of a song and then the upload process and promotion. The promotion part, I hate. Promotion, oh my God, me too. I'm not good at it either. I'm not even doing a good job promoting this podcast. (laughs) It lives and that's what's important. It lives, you know. It lives, you know, and like, I don't know. It's it, sometimes with like art and music, you kind of don't know what will stick with people. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, like whatever. Like I, with tracks, I'm like, I'll make a track. You know, stop business as usual was actually a reclamation of mm. my agency within music. Say and that. Yeah, a lot of that. Like, and it's um, it's not lost on me that that was happening. That is that's happening during a genocide where yeah. all these systems that rule sacred things such as music, capitalism and white supremacy are are in the industry of music. I'm like, right. fuck that. Right. Fuck that. So right now I'm in Toronto because I'm in film acting classes. Nice. So, so I'm learning how to act and learning how to like feel and embody characters Mm -hmm. and i'm also in a script writing class taught by marie b filipina playwright incredible she's goals for when i'm 49 say that like she is like oh yeah but it's like (laughs) every week every monday three hours we're like writing plays based on characters Mm -hmm. and i'm just interested in research Mm. like i want to like research like Mm -hmm. i want to i want to ground my work on on what is happening what has happened Mm -hmm. um in music sometimes i can get lost Mm -hmm. in in abstraction i think it it can be easy to get lost right and yeah, so I'm 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 doing that. I'm taking Tagalog lessons on Zoom. Amazing. Uh huh. Um, and I'm meeting awesome artists that I've that I've always admired in Toronto and making new friends. Yeah. I love it. That's so yeah. great. That's so great. How do you feel like? Because you you mentioned you have a you were like doing hip hop theater for like six years. How is that experience different than what you're studying now? Mm. Well, the the production that I was in was, um, it's funny, I played a 16-year-old Filipina battle rapper <laughs> who was grappling with the murder of her friend who was shot by police. Wow while also navigating what it meant to be a Filipina MC in black music. Mm-hmm. So wow. for, for a good like six years, I was in that play, like throughout uh-huh. my twenties playing a 16 year old 
I have to say a very problematic Mm -hmm. 16 year old, but a powerful 16 year old. Mm -hmm. And so, so there was that theater production where I learned a ton of skills and really was also grappling with like Black Lives Matter. That was the the time of Black Lives Matter. The play was written before the movement. Um, So, or before the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So so that play is really like, it's coming from a very particular point of view. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to now, I'm in my thirties. I'm in acting class and it's just scene work. So I'm like, Mm. it's so funny, Gabe. I'm in a class right now where I have to portray a cop. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So I'm memorizing lines and I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's really yeah it's really it's, hard i'm learning a lot yeah yeah that's that's got to be really hard i know just from like mm-hmm. in my experience like you like i i always want to continue learning you know and um i took uh clarion west like a speculative fiction intensive a couple years ago it's like six weeks where it's like an mfa program but like smashed into a summer where you live in a house with 18 other speculative fiction writers and every week another like master in the craft comes and like teaches you things and you have to write a story every week and critique 17 others you know what i'm saying and you learn so much and one of the things that you know i picked up from there was when you're writing a story you can't judge the characters that you're writing you know and i can imagine for acting Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Like you've got to find these people's intentions and like mm-hmm. that. I I just can't imagine doing that for like trying to embody a police officer, especially now. Like, oh oof. my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Oof. exactly. You totally summed up things I'm thinking about this week. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not, ju- <laughs> not judging the character. Like mm-hmm. um, my script writing teacher and my acting instructor both told me, bring push the humanity forward right you want to bring the humanity forward Mm -hmm. and it's hard but um yeah i don't know i i i i it's hard to not judge a character yeah and to just yeah yeah acting is the is studying the art of being human it really is you know and 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 once you can do that it it you can be be more accepting, I think, in general, you know. But it's it's rough, you know. I commend that's the you. Goal. I commend you for it, you know. That's that's amazing, and I can't wait to see what what springs forth from from this time period of you learning and growing and expanding, you know. Thanks, Gabe. Yeah. No Thank doubt. you. No doubt. Is there anything else you want to leave the people with? We we've talked for almost an hour. <laughs> hmm. I just enjoyed this talk. Yeah, me too. I, I, I always. I always yeah. love connecting with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I listened to the podcast with Derek. Um, nice. About the grief place. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, just like what you're what you're doing with this podcast and like what that particular podcast did was like it was like to talk about grief mm-hmm. and to like 
yeah, to, to talk about it is like a really powerful, it's, it's a rare thing. Yeah. And I, I'm grateful for the space where you're just like popping pockets and like, yeah, so I'm, I'm grateful for this and I'm just, I'm so grateful for you. And thank you. Thank you for your music and <laughs> it's informed my own and I'm just, it gives me strength during these messed up times, you know, just like remembering the people that are holding yeah. things up. Absolutely. And likewise, like your music, your music gives me so much hope and keeps me going as well, you know? And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this conversation. And let's connect some more soon. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. All right. It's Worldwide Underground with Kimordo. Appreciate you so much. I want to thank Kimordo again for sharing their time and stories with us. And I want to thank you all for hanging out with us as well. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to gabrieltiodros.substack.com for future episodes and to check out all of our past ones featuring people like Malkia Devich Cyril, Ijoma Oluo, Saul Williams, Nikita Oliver, Derek Dizong, Bilin Nahiwet, Marawi Garima, Kings, and so much more. We'll be back with you soon. Till then, be good to yourselves, be good to each other free Palestine always